Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Acts chapter 17, go ahead and turn there. If you're taking notes today, the title of my message is American Idols. America, yeah, who said that? You felt the conviction already. American Idol. Now raise your hand if you've ever watched the show American Idol. Pretty much everyone, right? Now, I don't know why all of you watch the show. I've watched it here and there over the years. I would assume that most of you, you've watched the show because you like to see Jesus take the will from people who are obscure and drive them into stardom like Carrie Underwood, right? Y'all like to see people rise in the ranks and, and, and be promoted on a national and international stage? Well, I think a lot of y'all, you like to watch that process. Um, as you know, you go through the auditions and see them make the cuts, uh, um, you know, see, you know, uh, episode after episode after episode. Uh, I think that's why most of you watch the show. But I got to be honest, the reason I watch the show, especially early on in the season, is because I just love to, to, to see and to hear Simon look at people and say, what was that? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I love Simon because he's like the law. He's law dog, isn't he? Simon tells the truth. But then there's Randy, there's Paula. They're a little bit more gracious, aren't they? Yeah, well, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it, uh, watch an episode. Um, I don't know who's on now. I think there are like 19 seasons. Is it, is it on any longer? Is it off the air? I don't even know. But, but um, I, like, I like the title of the show because really it, it coincides with my purposes today, which is to talk about idolatry. Now, I know that February is the month of relationships. And that's exactly what I'm going to talk about today. Your relationship with God. Because how many of y'all know your relationship with God will determine your relationship with people? And let me unpack this slowly. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but if you're taking notes, write this title down, American Idols. I'm going to, I'm going to show you today that, that there, we, we have some idols in our lives that are actually preventing us from serving God and loving God the way that we should. And in doing so, it's affecting many other things in our lives. But today we're going to begin with, well, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, picking it up here in verse 16. And we're going to look at how the Apostle Apostle Paul, how he judged the Athenian idols in his own day. You'll know what I'm talking about after I read this. Let's pick it up here, Acts 17, beginning in verse 16. Luke says this. Y'all ready? No, that was weak. Are y'all ready? Okay. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, that is Silas and Timothy, at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. 
Now, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Let's pray. Father, I ask today that you would give, give us wisdom and revelation. Lord, whatever you want to say to, uh, to us today, Lord, say it clearly through your word or by your spirit. Would you open up our hearts and our minds? God, help us, Lord, to hear the message that you would say to us that would set us free. Lord, we depend upon you. We need you today. We can do nothing without you, Jesus. We can do nothing without your spirit. And so, Lord, today I'm praying that you would break through barriers. Lord, shine light in darkness or give hope where there is none. God, bring healing, bring deliverance. Lord, as we look to you, the one true God, some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. All the false gods of the nations are idols, Lord, but you made the heavens and nothing is impossible for you. And so Lord, today I'm praying that you would direct our attention to your promises, that we would stand on them like never before. Lord, take our eyes. Remove us from worthless things. Take us away from those things by your spirit and enable us today to focus on the power of your word, the promises of your word. Lord, we stand there today. Lord, I know many here today are struggling. Many today are hopeless. And at least for some, it's because Lord, they're standing on the wrong foundation and looking to the wrong gods. But Lord, we declare today you're the only true God. Jesus Christ, we worship you. Come on, let's lift our hands today. Come on, shake off the tiredness today. Lord, we look to you today. We can do nothing without you today. And we stand on your word. We ask for you to do in us, Lord, what only you can do. Come on, saints, lift your hands. Lord, we wait on you. Empower us today. Come by your spirit. Speak to us from your word. Come on, let's wait just a minute on the Lord. Wait on him. Wait on Open your heart. Open your heart. Say, Lord, 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 come do what you want to do. Give us the ears to hear eyes to see, the hearts to do what you've called us to do. We wait on you, Lord, and we thank you for all your promises. We thank you for your goodness, your kindness toward us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Y'all good? Yeah. All right. Well, to give you a little bit of context here, Paul is in Athens waiting on Silas and Timothy. And as, as he's in this ancient city, as he passes through, he notices that, well, the city was full of idols. There was art, and there was architecture, there were temples, um, there were objects of worship to uh, false gods, we would call them, to Athena, to Ares, and so forth. And so as Paul made his way through Athens, the Bible says that his spirit, watch this, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw all these objects of worship all around. The term here provoke comes from a Greek term that, that basically means that Paul felt a sense of grief and anger at the same time over what he saw. This was not Paul walking through just casually observing these idols and being somewhat disappointed. No, no, no. He was grieved. He felt a sense of anger, but he was also saddened at the same time. Have you ever felt that way? Angry on one hand, but on the other, you're like, the more you think about it, you're like, you're just grieved over what you see. And, and that should be our response 
When we see the idols of this world and when we see people, especially Christians, worshiping the things of this world. How many of y'all know we should be grieved when we see people worshiping the creation over the creator? How many of y'all know it should bother us deeply when we love God's gifts more than we love the giver of those gifts, God himself? How many of y'all know that, that should bother us? It should bother us when we see, uh, of course, the world bowing down to things that cannot save them. But it should grieve us even more when that takes place in the church. Because in the church, we really don't have an excuse, do we? The people of the world, we can say maybe at times they don't know better. Maybe they haven't heard the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Nonetheless, God holds them accountable. But still, there's a sense of grace that we'll give to, to unbelievers outside the church. But in the church, there should be this deep-seated sense of, of grief and anger, sadness, if you want to say provocation. We should feel a sense of provocation whenever we witness these things, when we see them, especially in our own lives. But what I want to show you today is that when Paul walked into Athens and he saw all the idols, Paul didn't walk in and start going off on all uh, of, the, of the residents of Athens. He didn't walk in and just start blasting people. What we see here is that Paul's spirit was provoked within him. But, but watch this. Paul, he didn't just point out where they were wrong. He took the time to teach them what was right. And how many of y'all know that's how we should be as Christians? We are not the referees, the officials going around throwing flags at every wrong thing that people do. Yes, by the word of God, we need to, to, to share the word, to speak truth, and yes, to show people the error of their ways. We are to do that. But how many of y'all know as believers, we're not just to point out what's wrong with everything. We are to stand up and teach them what's right and how to get there. Does that make sense? The principle is this, as believers, if you see something, say something. If you see something wrong, you're deputized by Jesus himself to say something. And it's my fear that the church has been silent for a long time. We've lost our prophetic edge and our prophetic authority. But I believe here at Midtown, God is raising some people who are going to stand up, not in anger, but by the grace of God and speak the truth of God to a generation that's going to hell. But by the grace of God, come on, how many of y'all know God will save people through us and our faithfulness? That we can hold up the plumb line, the standard, and see righteousness prevail once again. Do y'all believe that? I believe that if we will stand and speak, that God will move. And so if you see something, say something. That's what Paul did. He saw some things and therefore he said some things. His, his provocation uh, led to proclamation. Because we're told here that Paul, he went to the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. He reasoned with the Gentiles. He went then to the marketplace and there he shared Jesus. You couldn't shut this guy up. I mean, everywhere he went, he's talking about Jesus. Think about what Acadiana would look like. Think about what your community would look like if everywhere we went, we, we, we practiced show and tell. We told people about Jesus, but we also showed them Jesus by the way we live. Think about how this, this city, this, this region would be changed if we did that regularly. Well, Paul 
went through Athens. He reasoned. He preached. He talked about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we're told here that he got the attention of a lot of people. In particular, he got the attention of some Epicurean. Don't even, I'm not going to ask you to say that with me. Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now you said, Pastor Scott, I was tracking with you until you said that. Who are the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers? Like if you're reading your Bible and you don't have, you know, like a study Bible and you're reading that in the morning with your coffee, like what do you do with that? You keep reading, right? <laughs> yeah. You, or you text me or somebody else, you know, Google it, right? Google, whatever. But, but there's a lot to say about these, these philosophers. But in short, the Epicureans followed, and they were followers of a man named Epicurus from the 4th century BC. And the Epicureans said that the chief end of man was the avoidance of pain and the pursuit of pleasure. Sounds like a lot of people today, huh? Like their goal, to avoid pain and to maximize pleasure, which that in itself isn't all bad. You just got to put in the right context. Well, that's in essence who the Epicureans were. The Stoics were followers of Zeno, uh, dating back to the 4th century BC. And the Stoics elevated human reason. And they elevated the self-sufficiency of humankind. Now, these groups, these philosophers, they disagreed about a lot of things, but the one thing that they agreed about was that, that both groups were skeptical about the claim that ultimate truth can be known. Let me say that again. They were skeptical about the claim that absolute truth could be known. Now imagine you're the Apostle Paul and you're ministering to Jews and to philosophers like these. As Paul walked through, how many of y'all know Paul's preaching was not, it did not involve him offering suggestions of maybe one way among many. When Paul preached, he stood flat-footed believing that there's one God, that there's one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. How many of y'all know Paul claimed to, to know absolute truth through Jesus? And so Paul steps in to the marketplace and then eventually we're told that these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers take him to the Areopagus, which was this philosophical and religious meeting spot. They took him there because sarcastically they said, we want to know what this babbler is saying. We want to know more details. And so we can say that they were somewhat interested in Paul's message. And I stress the word Somewhat, But there was Paul with absolute truth preaching and teaching the word of God. But, but here's what I want to show you. Paul had at the Oropagus, at this meeting place, watch this, a captive audience. And captive audiences are hard to come by. Let me explain. Just a few days ago, I was on the airplane coming back. Uh, from, well, I was in Nashville for what, almost what, two and a half days, came back, was on the flight. And literally as I was writing this part of my message, like I had the first page done that I just shared, I, I'm, on, I'm on the plane and I look up and there's the flight attendant. And she was up giving all the instructions about what to do if there were a crash. You know, the stuff about the, the exits and the seat. Your seat is a flotation device. You know, the oxygen mask going through all that. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all have all flown, right? Okay. Now, as I'm literally at this point in my message, looking for the transition. And I looked at her, I'm like, sermon illustration. <laughs> now you're like, you're thinking, well, what would you do with that? 
Here's what I would do with that. The two most ignored people on the planet, flight attendants and preachers. Rice Brooks taught me that years ago. It's true. It's true. How many of y'all know? I mean, both with life-saving information. She's, you know, she's up doing her thing. And as I sat there with my laptop open, I'm like, this is perfect. This is a perfect sermon illustration. I'm watching her, like, bless her heart, go through all the motions. People had their headphones on. People were snoring, you know, out in the spirit, you know. And, like, no one was listening except me because I'm like, this is perfect. And I thought about it, you know. Man, when you get a captive audience, you better take advantage of it. And, you know, and I thought about this. Kelly was right beside me on the plane. I'm like, what would I say if I were her and I got to stand up and share it? Y'all want to know what I would say? I wrote it down. Are y'all interested? Do I have a captive audience? You're here. Okay. Here's what I'd say. Um, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being with us today. I want to encourage you to pull out this manual called the Bible and read it like your life depends upon it. We promise that there will be turbulence and temptation in this life, but God always provides a way of escape. If it comes at you from the north, you have three directions to run, the east, west, or the south. And those godly people that you've been ignoring can be a life-saving flotation device that will keep you from drowning in time. Times of hardship. And remember, everyone, God is not your co-pilot. He is in complete control of your life, and He's the one who's kept you from crashing at least a dozen times. In a few minutes, I'll be passing through to administer Holy Communion. Please do not partake <laughs> in an unworthy manner. Afterwards, the ushers will come by and pick up the elements. If you believe in Jesus and repent of your sins, heaven is your final destination. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy your eternal life. <laughs> you know what people would do if I said that? <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Most people. <laughs> Most people. I digress. Paul had a captive audience. These philosophers wanted to hear to some extent what he had to say. What do you share with a captive audience if you're Paul? If you're you, if you're me, the truth, the truth. Listen to what Paul says, Acts 17, verses 22 and 23. So Paul, standing in the midst of the, uh, the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Now, what I want to show you is that Paul did not walk in and blast them. He did not walk into this meeting and go off on them. At least, at least not yet. He was provoked to proclaim, but watch, Paul still had tact. And someone says that tact is the ability to make a point without making an enemy. Let me say it again, because some of y'all need it. <laughs> Smile, come on. The, the ability to make a point without making an enemy. Paul walked in and he spoke with tact and he made some observations that really no one could argue with. He said, look, hey, men of Athens, and I don't think he was yelling at them or I don't think veins were coming. I think, hey, y'all are very religious. As I look around, I see all these objects of worship. Yeah, yeah, 
How many of y'all know his audience, they, they were not atheists. They believed in lots of gods. Atheism wasn't the problem. The problem was that they served too many gods. They served the wrong gods. But he pointed out the fact that as he passed through that he even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. You know what that means? That they had this object of worship for a God they, they didn't really know. They didn't know his name and they didn't want to leave a God out. It was the just in case object of worship. Now, how many of y'all know that's messed up? But this was an altar with the inscription to the unknown God amidst all the other objects of worship. I've shared this before, um, the episode, um, I don't know if you guys used to watch uh, Sanford and Son. Any Sanford and Son witnesses here? Yeah, oh, come on, there's no show like that. Uh, some of y'all, may, you may remember the, the episode when Fred and Lamont are at the airport. And if you remember, Fred goes through the metal detector and the, 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 you know, the alarm goes off and he comes back and stands over and then the security guard comes over and asks him what was in his pockets. And Fred, Fred reaches in his pockets and then Lamont's standing right beside him and Lamont's helping him pull out all these things from his pocket. And then he pulls out the first thing and it was a crucifix. And Lamont said, a crucifix? And he looked down and he said, a St. Christopher's medal? And he pulled out something else. He said, a star of David? A crescent of Islam? And a Buddha? And Fred goes, and a mojo. <laughs> And Lamont said, Lamont said, what do you need all these things for? And Fred said, well, down here, I'm a Baptist. But up there, I ain't taking any chances. <laughs> oh, he had all his little objects of worship. Just in case. Just in case. Did you know that the vast majority of Acadiana is religious. I didn't say Christian. My name is Pastor Scott and I'm always your friend. But religious. If you observe carefully as you drive through town, as you go to work, school, elsewhere, you will observe that there are many objects of worship here in Acadiana. See, the problem isn't that, for most people, the problem isn't that we don't believe in God. The problem is that we have some American idols on the side. You say, well, what is an idol? Well, there are a lot of ways to define it, but let me give you a simple definition. An idol is anything other than God that we look to, place our trust in, and ultimately cannot live without. That's what an idol is. That's the heart of idolatry. It's looking to the world, the things of this world, and, and things other than God, looking to things, anything other than God, and, and treating those things almost like they are God to us. So for some people, that's alcohol. For some people, they really believe that alcohol is their savior. You come home at the end of the day, 
and you've had a rough time and you know, you got a lot of pressure on you and your spouse is just like this and you, all the pressure of the world's on you. Well, you, you, you might, you might be committing idolatry if, if regularly you go home and you turn to that bottle instead of the Bible. If you go to the bottle instead of the Bible, if you go to that instead of God, alcohol, it could be an idol for you. Does that make sense? In this season of relationships, we're talking about them, you know, across the campuses, at least the other campuses are in relationship series. Um, I'm kind of touching on it a little bit today. For some people, relationships, having someone in your life, that in itself, which isn't bad, that's a good thing, that in itself can be an idol. And the way you know that that relationship that you want or that you're in is an idol is that, that if you look to it and you feel like at the end of the day you can't live without it, then, 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 then that could be an idol for you. Let me give you another example from my own life. I hope you all know from what you see and what you hear and observe that I love my wife and my family. Y'all believe that? I love that woman. I mean, there's no one on this planet that I love like my wife. There's no woman like her. But you hear people say, well, baby, I just, I can't live without you. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. <laughs> and listen to me. I don't want to live without Kelly. I don't want to live without my family. But listen, at the end of the day, though my family is super important, my family is a great family, but they make a terrible God. And when I take my family and I place my family over God, then my family becomes an idol. So can I live without Kelly? Yes. Do I want to live without Kelly? No. But at the end of the day, I need Jesus. I need his word and I need his promises. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. And see, when you have that mindset, it actually frees you up to love people the way God's called you to love them. Not as idols, but as people made in God's image. So there you go. There's my relationship message. But some of you are in trouble in relationships because you got it all wrong. You got your spouse or you got that one you're dating above God. You place relationships above him or alcohol above him or sex above him or hunting above him. Listen, anytime you place the creation over the creator, you're right smack dab in the middle of committing American idolatry. And when you fix that order, and I don't want to be oversimplistic here, but when God's first and you're submitted to Jesus' lordship, and you're filled with his spirit, and you're in his word, I promise that all of your relationships will be transformed, at least as far as it's up to you. If you've been the problem, that'll fix it. In most cases. Many Americans worship alcohol, money, relationships. You name it. I'm afraid we have... Many in the church today, pastors and authors and speakers, personalities, platforms. I want you to check your own life right now. Survey, because maybe this doesn't apply to anyone here. This is, this is for everyone in Broussard, the Broussard campus. Just teasing. What is it in your life 
that you're looking to, placing your trust in, and feeling as though you can't live without. See how you're doing in this area. Paul, in Athens, was kind of like Simon. <laughs> kind of like Simon. At an American Idol audition. Carefully observing the Athenian idols. And after observing the altar with the inscription to the unknown God, he gave this assessment. Acts 17, 23 through 25. Here's what Paul said. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself uh, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. In other words, your unknown God is pitiful. This God doesn't even have a name. This God the one who's auditioning here, this God lives silly symbolically in temples built by human hands. What kind of God can be reduced to fit in a building? And Paul didn't say this, but the spirit of it is, your unknown God is pitiful. But the true God, your God and my God, He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He is creator. He is our sustainer. And he is not served by human hands as though at the end of the day he needs us. He doesn't need anything from us. But how many of y'all know we need everything from him? He gives life and breath and everything else. He is the only, come on y'all, Jesus is the only true God. Line up all the other contestants, all the other options, all the other gods, and Paul would say none of them even come close to comparing to the true God, the only God of Israel. His name is Yahweh. Jesus is his son, and the power of the Holy Spirit is with us. How many of y'all know there's only one God? One God. One God. That's, that's what Paul's proclaiming. But he goes on to say, and from one man, he made every nation of mankind, from one, from Adam, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries and their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. In other words, Paul's saying to his captive audience. We are here today because the creator God made Adam 
and from Adam brought forth the entire human race. God determined how many there would be, how many humans there would be. He determined how far humanity would spread. He determines the, 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 the place of their habitation, how far across the world they would spread. And Paul says he did this so the men would seek for him, feel for him, reach for him, and perhaps find him. But as we know from the rest of scripture, though God has made himself known, the Gentiles, the unbelieving world, they're reaching and they're feeling because they know that there's something more. They know that there's more. They're, they know that they're created for more. They're reaching and feeling. And instead of, watch, raising their hands in praise to the true God, watch, they use their hands to create gods after their own image, which is the ultimate slap in the face of a holy God. They're reaching through philosophy, reaching the different religions, groping around almost as if they're in dark, trying to find God. But Paul says, he's not that far from us. That's the picture Paul paints here. Their false God, at least this one was unknown. Paul steps in and he clears up all the confusion. What you worship as unknown I proclaim to you today. And he says in verse 30, the times of ignorance, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he, watch, he commands. Everybody say that with me. He commands all people. Pretty much includes everyone, huh? All people everywhere to do what? To repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man. We all came from a man. We're going to be judged by a man. The first Adam blew it. Jesus, the second Adam came to fix it. We're going to be judged by that one man because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's making sure that his audience knows the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And he says, in the past, God overlooked your idolatry. He didn't judge them the way he could have judged them. But he said, those days are over. Those days are over. And now he commands, he commands you, speaking to his audience, to turn from all of their idolatry, from all of those things that they had placed their trust in and looked to. And I love what R.C. Sproul says about this. He says, this is not an invitation. This is more like a subpoena. This is not, you know, in some churches, you know, at the end of the service, especially in like Baptist churches, not knocking the Baptist, but they'll give the what? The invitation. Were y'all raised in a church like that? Have you attended a church like that? We give the invitation. Now we're going to give the invitation. There's nothing wrong necessarily with giving the invitation. As long as you know that it's not really an invitation, it's a command to repent and turn to the one true living God. 
My fear is that we've given way too many invitations of a nice, like, if you don't mind, can you, like, turn from that thing that you've been serving? Like, if you don't mind, I don't want to pressure you. Don't want to put, if you don't mind, listen, this is not about my feelings. It's not about trying to make God nicer than he is. It's the God of heaven and earth commanding through his word, through his son, all people everywhere who've been steeped in idolatry to turn and forsake it and serve him, the one true living God. And imagine if America would take that message seriously and forsake our idolatry, forsake our sexual sin, forsake our hypocrisy and turn to the living God. Imagine what America would look like. Imagine what your life would look like. Imagine what mine would look like. Because see, you can refuse an RSVP, you can ignore it, you can turn down an invitation without consequence. But if you ignore a subpoena, you're going to be penalized severely. And he says that God is going to judge all humanity. And we're going to stand before the one man, the one who's made God known. And we're going to have to give an account. Are you ready for that? You know, I, I've been thinking more about my life and my life's end. And y'all know the thing about tragedy is that tragedy never like texts you or calls you or comes and said, is this a good time to strike? How many of y'all know the answer would always be, no, I'm tied up. Tragedy never comes at a convenient time. Tragedy and cancer, hardship of every kind, all of that, those are gifts from God to remind us of our own mortality. In the hustle and the bustle and the I'm going to change the world and I'm going to do this, all this is all fine. You've got to remember that one day you're going to draw your last breath and you're going to stand before the living God. And one old church father says, all of life should be used in preparation for the day of our death so that when we stand before God, we are truly, as we sang, righteous in his sight. And as I was in that hospital with my dad. We had some good conversation. We've got a great relationship. I feel like I've said everything that I could possibly say and vice versa. But as, as I was about to leave the hospital that final day, I grabbed my dad's hand and I said, I said, dad, I said, do you believe in Jesus? Have you trusted in him? And he had his eyes back. He was kind of had his head back and eyes kind of closed like this, kind of maybe a little bit open. And he sits up and he goes, oh yes, he's the only way. And then I was like, thank you, Jesus. And I cut out my Bible and I encourage you to do the same. I got out my Bible and I grabbed his hand and I read Psalm 21 through three. Bible in one hand, his hand in mine. God, may you answer my father in the day of his trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect him. May you Lord send help from your sanctuary and give him the support that he needs. And I pray because Lord, you're the true God. 
You're the true God. You're the only one who can deliver him. And as I prayed, I know it's not about my feelings. I get it. But y'all in that hospital room, I felt the tangible healing, delivering grace of God. And I prayed for him, grabbed his hand, squeezed it, loved on him. And I left and I got back on a plane to come back here to be with you fine people today. And let me tell you something. I have so much life on me today so much joy in my life, so much peace in the midst of it all. Why? False gods give false hope, but Jesus Christ is our only hope. In life and in death, Lord, you give and you take away whatever you do, you're good in every season and every situation. And I say publicly today, Lord, blessed be your Who are you looking to today? Who are you trusting in? Maybe you're hearing your, hearing me say all this. You're like, I prayed. I went to the hospital. My father died. My son died. I know. I know. We live in a fallen world. But listen to me. This thing's rigged. This life is rigged. Because you win. They win either way. If you're in Christ, to live is Christ. To die is gain. If you don't get your healing in this life, I promise you will in the next. But only Jesus can give you that. Only God Almighty, the true God of all creation can do that. So my brothers and sisters, take all your idols, throw them in the trash can, pull out your word, pull out the Bible, stand on God's promises, confess his word, repent of your sin, look to heaven from where your help comes from, look to him and trust him in your situation, no matter what you're going through. And as you do, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He is with you. He is for you. His promises are yes and amen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never, ever, 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 ever pass away and so Lord we confess this today we forsake our American idols today right now in this attitude of prayer you know what those things are good things perhaps a good thing that's become a God thing for you right now if it's a relationship if it's alcohol if it's sex if it, whatever it is by the power of the Spirit, put it to death right now. God commands all people everywhere, including us, to repent. Holy Spirit, would you search us? Come on, would you just lift your hands with me like this? Would you search us, Lord? Would you bring up things that we've overlooked or ignored? Would you expose our idolatry? Lord, Lord, not to condemn us, but convict us, Lord, and lead us, as the psalmist said, lead us in the way everlasting, lead us in the path of life, lead us closer to you. 
Lord, lead us to the light. Lead us. Lord, drag us if you have to. But Lord, I'm praying for the power of the Spirit. Lord, shine your light in our darkness. Increase by your Spirit. Increase in our hearts love for you by the Holy Spirit whom you've poured out. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for the yoke-breaking, curse-canceling power of God in this place. We thank you, Lord. We bless you today. And with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I haven't done this in a while and that's been on purpose because I don't want this just to be a regular religious thing that, that I do. I know it's, it's not that for others, but I don't want it to become this for me. But right now, I want to give you, after weeks, some of you have heard the preaching of the Word of God for weeks. Now, I want to give you an opportunity to repent and turn to God. Perhaps for some of you, it's the first time ever. Maybe you've been around church, you've been you know, in this Catholic community, you, you know some things about God, but, 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 but perhaps you've never had that moment in your life where you've been convicted by sin, where you forsook your sin, turned from it and clung to Jesus right now. I want to give you that opportunity to begin a relationship with Jesus. But listen carefully with your eyes closed. You can't have your arms around idols of this world and Jesus at the same time. You've got to let go of one to get the other. So right now in the spirit, I see you just letting those things go, dropping them to the ground, throwing them in the trash. Whatever has kept you from pursuing God and loving him, drop it now, run from it and run to Jesus. And the Bible says, as you do, when you do, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be delivered. You're going to be saved. Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, you're here today. You say, Pastor Scott, I, I want to forsake my idols. I want to turn from the things of this world that have had a hold on me, that I've had a hold on them. I want to forsake them today. And I want a relationship with God. I want my sins forgiven. I want the power of God in my life. I want all of his promises. If that's you today, on the count of three, I want you to slip up your hand. And said, so that's me. I, I want that relationship today. I'm ready to repent of my sins and turn. On the count of three, if that's you, I want you to slip up your hand. One, two, three. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. Yeah, that's me. That's me. Raise your hand right now. Forsaking all else to serve the living God. Forsaking all else to serve him. Come on, raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. That's you. That's you. Okay. You can put your hand down. If that's you, if you raise your hand and you want to begin that relationship with God today, I'm going to give you a prayer. Really, it's a confession. And this prayer doesn't save you. It's not magic. But I believe this prayer that I'm going to ask you to say with me it verbalizes what's going on in your heart of hearts. If you raised your hand, I want you to say this boldly. And we're going to say it with you. Come on, Midtown. Everyone here, let's, let's make this our confession today. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus. I believe that you're the son of God. And I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. And I believe that you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, 
no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And thank God, heaven is now my home. It's in the mighty, awesome name of Jesus. Everyone said, come on, y'all. Amen. Give it up for everyone who just said that prayer.